A new book reveals how to recognize and defeat the evil of communism and other totalitarian regimes like Putin's Russia. The Triumph of Good, Cain, Abel, and the End of Marxism, with commentary by the author, Thomas Cromwell. Chapter 9. Renewal and Revolution in Europe. Cain and Abel Movements Shape the Future. First section, the Renaissance. The Roman Catholic Church persecuted not only those whose religious beliefs it deemed heretical, but also those who put forward theories of human nature and the universe that did not fit with church dogma. The reaction to the first type of persecution gave birth to the Protestant Reformation. The reaction to the second type of persecution gave birth to humanism and the Renaissance the French word for renewal, which revived interest in the much earlier science of Greece and Rome. The first notable Renaissance figure was the 14th century Italian thinker and poet Francesco Petrarca, or Petrarch. Once a priest, he would become known as the father of humanism as of the Renaissance. He believed that secular achievements did not preclude a relationship with God pointing out that human intellectual and creative abilities were themselves an endowment by the Creator. Humanism enabled artists to glorify the human body and nature in their work, echoing their Greek and Roman forebears. Among these great artists were Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael and Donatello. In the 16th century, another religious man, Nicolaus Copernicus, discovered that the sun was at the center of the known universe and that the earth revolved around it, contradicting church doctrine. A century later, Italian Galileo Galilei agreed with Copernicus. He was arrested and accused of heresy by the church and would die in prison while waiting to be tried. Nevertheless, seeds of scientific discovery planted by the Greeks two millennia earlier were now beginning to bear fruit as modern science. The Renaissance was a reaction to the otherworldliness of Christianity. It relished the beauty of nature and celebrated human creativity in the arts. It was not anti-religion, but rather helpful in translating some of the abstractions of religion into the reality of the physical world. It also helped remind people that they were responsible for their own actions and that exploring the universe and creating beauty through art and music were fully consistent with their purpose for being. New section, the Enlightenment. Freed from the censorship of the church, science began to carve out its own realm of knowledge based on observation and experimentation. This represented a wholly new way of looking at the world, and it would only grow in its attractiveness to rational human beings seeking to understand their existence. This growth of reason and science would spawn yet another movement the Enlightenment of the 17th and 18th centuries. It represented a further move away from dependence on religion for understanding, and while not necessarily hostile to religion, it was increasingly skeptical of religious assumptions and beliefs, especially those related to the invisible world of spiritual existence and faith. As with all human endeavors, the Renaissance and Enlightenment 
was spawned both Cain and Abel type offshoots. Science used for evil and science used for good. Movements of violent revolution and oppression and movements of peaceful change and human liberation. Used wisely, science has proven to be of enormous benefit to humanity, enabling the development of a wide range of technologies that have enabled people to live longer and better than ever before. Harnessed efficiently by capitalist economies, science and technology have enabled a tremendous expansion of agriculture and food production and a radical reduction in poverty worldwide, promising an abundant life for all. In contrast, when science and technology are used for evil, they facilitate totalitarian rule, as we see in communist China's surveillance of and intrusion into the lives of individuals and oppression of dissident individuals and groups. News section. Cain and Abel revolutions in Europe. In the political arena, the Renaissance and Enlightenment had a dramatic impact on Western societies and ultimately the world. Encouraged by newfound freedoms, inspired by a belief in individual rights, a new person was emerging, an individual who was educated and who sought to shape his or her own destiny. No longer could these enlightened people accept the primacy of any single church, the divine right of kings, or the privilege of aristocracy. They wanted to have a say in their government and opportunities to better themselves. Given the reluctance of the establishment to relinquish power willingly, growing resistance to authority, and eventually revolutions of some sort or another were inevitable. However, the revolutions that occurred differed significantly from one another, resulting in very different long-term outcomes. New section, Britain's glorious revolution. In Europe, opposition to monarchical regimes and the desire for religious, political, and economic freedom resulted in several revolutionary movements. In Britain, the steady development of the common law and individual rights led to King John relinquishing absolute power by signing the Magna Carta Charter in 1215, thereby ceding power to wealthy landowners who established the first parliament. The pressure to expand the powers of parliament and limit those of the monarch would lead to outright civil war in 1642, when mainly Protestant rebels fought to seize power from King Charles I, a Catholic. Under the leadership of Oliver Cromwell, who had wanted to join the pilgrims and emigrate to America, the so-called Roundheads were victorious, taking control of the Parliament and executing the King in 1649. After a decade of regency under Cromwell, the monarchy was re-established in England under Charles II, the eldest surviving son of Charles I. However, the Civil War had brought about significant changes, and the monarchy would soon permanently relinquish many of its powers to the Parliament. This took place in the Glorious Revolution of 1688 and 1689, when Parliament fought King James II from power and replaced him with William III and Mary II. These joint monarchs took power on conditions set by Parliament, and in 1689 they signed a Bill of Rights into law that limited the power of the monarchy, elevated the role of Parliament, and enumerated individual rights, thereby establishing a constitutional monarchy. The Glorious Revolution and the English Bill of Rights 
would play a significant role in inspiring the founding of America as an independent republic 100 years later. After the American colonies won their freedom from British rule, the founding fathers, who had initiated the anti-British revolt with their declaration of independence in 1776, devised a new republican constitution. It was finally adopted on June 21, 1788, when New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify it. Months later, on March 4, 1789, the new Republican government started to operate. Once the Constitution had been adopted, a Bill of Rights in the form of ten amendments was added, echoing the English Bill of Rights. These amendments were ratified by the states in 1791. Based on laws of nature and nature's God, as the Declaration of Independence put it, the American Republic was established without a monarch or aristocracy and would become an able type model of democratic government for the whole world. New section, the French Revolution. By contrast, in France, the people's bitterness towards the monarchy, nobility, and Catholic Church would boil over into the violent Cain-type revolution of 1789. The revolutionaries were bent on destruction of the existing order, but did not have a specific, better alternative to offer. The main philosophical influence on the French Revolution came from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who lived from 1712 to 1778. Considered a deist, his theory of the general will was used as a justification for revolutionary and later dictatorial action on behalf of the people. Rousseau was the primary inspiration for the Jacobins, named for the St. Jack Monastery where they first met, who were the driving force of the revolutionary movement founded in 1789 by Maximilien Robespierre and led by him during the bloodiest phase of the French Revolution. Of Rousseau, Robespierre said, Rousseau is the one man who, through the loftiness of his soul and the grandeur of his character, showed himself worthy of the role of teacher of mankind." End quote. The Jacobins would become synonymous with violent revolutionaries. In a chilling foreshadowing of totalitarian regimes to come, Robespierre is credited with coining the movement's seductive slogan, Liberty, Fraternity and Equality, which proved a total deception given the violence and chaos the revolution produced for years. Again, in a pattern that would oft be repeated by tyrants, Robespierre abandoned his professed ideals once in power. He called for the execution of King Louis XVI, even though he previously said he opposed capital punishment. I quote him, With regret, I pronounce this fatal truth. Louis must die so that the nation may live, he said. On January 21, four days after the National Convention convicted the king, he was guillotined. Foreshadowing tyrannies to come, the French Revolution became ever more extreme, entrusting the defense of the revolution and removal of its enemies to an innocuous-sounding Committee of Public Safety, led by Robespierre, which organized a reign of terror that lasted from 1793 to 1794. Aided by the Revolutionary Tribunal, it was responsible for several massacres 
and the official death sentences of 16,594, usually by guillotine. Another 10,000 died in prison without having a trial. Robespierre himself seems to have forgotten his ideals, justifying terror as a necessary guarantor of virtue, as he called it an emanation of virtue. And I quote, If the mainspring of popular government in peacetime is virtue, amid revolution it is at the same time virtue and terror. Virtue without which terror is fatal, terror without which virtue is impotent. Terror is nothing but prompt, severe, inflexible justice. It is therefore an emanation of virtue. It is less a special principle than a consequence of the general principle of democracy applied to our country's most pressing needs." End quote. As so often happens with violent revolutions, the French revolutionaries soon turned on their own. Thus it was that Robespierre himself fell victim to factional squabbles within the National Convention and was hauled off to prison, where he tried to commit suicide. On July 28, 1794, he was tried and convicted of counter-revolution by the Revolutionary Tribunal. He was guillotined that evening. The next day, 70 radical members of the Paris Commune, that was the city government, who were allied with Robespierre, were also guillotined. It would be another five years before the decade of revolutionary finally drew to a close. With the rise to power of Napoleon Bonaparte in 1799, France would turn from internal conflicts to external conquests, but for several decades it was intermittently troubled by violent revolts, culminating in the bloody Paris Commune of 1871, inspired by its reign of terror namesake. New section, The Long Shadow of Rousseau. In his insightful book, Intellectuals, Paul Johnson analyzes the ideas of the main intellectual figures who shaped the dominant leftist thinking of the modern era, starting from the 18th century. Johnson doesn't stop at the books they wrote, but examines their lives to give context to their theories. First up is Rousseau, whom Johnson describes as, and I quote, the first of the modern intellectuals, their archetype, and in many ways, the most influential of them all. Older men like Voltaire, had started the work of demolishing the altars and enthroning reason. But Rousseau was the first to combine all the salient characteristics of the modern Promethean, the assertion of his right to reject the existing order in its entirety, confidence in his capacity to refashion it from the bottom in accordance with principles of his own devising, belief that this could be achieved by the political process and, not least, recognition of the huge part, instinct, intuition, and impulse play in human conduct. He believed that he had a unique love for humanity and had been endowed with unprecedented gifts and insights to increase its felicity. An astonishing number of people in his own day and since have taken him at his own valuation. In both the long and short term, his influence was enormous. In the generation after his death, it attained the status of a myth." End quote. Rousseau led a life of gross narcissism, handing over to a state orphanage, an almost certain death, 
every one of his five newborn children, despite his comfortable financial circumstances. As Johnson says, and I quote, by a curious chain of infamous moral logic, Rousseau's iniquity as a parent was linked to his ideological offspring, the future totalitarian state, end quote. He elaborates, and I quote, it was necessary to replace the existing society by something totally different and essentially egalitarian. But this done, revolutionary disorder could not be permitted. The rich and the privileged as the ordering force would be replaced by the state, embodying the general will, which all contracted to obey. Such obedience would become instinctive and voluntary since the state, by a systematic process of cultural engineering, would inculcate virtue in all. The state was the father, the patrie, and all its citizens were the children of the paternal orphanage." End quote. And further, and I quote Johnson again, Rousseau's state is not merely authoritarian, it is also totalitarian, since it orders every aspect of human activity, thought included. Under the social contract, the individual was obliged to alienate himself with all his rights to the whole of the community, that is, the state. You must therefore treat citizens as children and control their upbringing and thoughts, planting the social law in the bottom of their hearts. They then become social men by their natures and citizens by their inclinations. They will be one, they will be good, they will be happy, and their happiness will be that of the Republic." End quote. At the same time, Rousseau criticized capitalism, and I quote Johnson again, the evil of competition, as he saw it, which destroys man's inborn communal sense and encourages all his most evil traits, including his desire to exploit others, led Rousseau to distrust private property as a source of social crime. His fifth innovation then, on the very eve of the Industrial Revolution, was to develop the elements of a critique of capitalism, both in the preface to his play, Narcis, and in his discourse and in his discourse sur l'inégalité, by identifying property and the competition to acquire it as primary cause of alienation. This was a thought deposit Marx and others were to mine ruthlessly, together with Rousseau's related idea of cultural evolution." End quote. Indeed, not only did Rousseau provide theories that were embraced by the Jacobins a decade after his death, and resulted in the French Revolution devolving into a murderous bloodbath, he also proposed a solution to the world's ills that proved extremely useful to Marxism and would be translated into practices of both the communist and fascist revolutions and regimes of the 20th century. Quoting again from Johnson, Hence, and this is the true revolution Rousseau's ideas brought about, he moved the political process to the very center of human existence by making the legislator, who is also a pedagogue, into the new messiah, capable of solving all human problems by creating new men. Everything he wrote is at root dependent on politics. Virtue is a product of good government, 
vices belong less to man than to man badly governed. The political process and the new kind of state it brings into being are the universal remedies for the ills of mankind. Politics will do all. Rousseau thus prepared the blueprint for the principal delusions and follies of the 20th century." Thus the French Revolution saw not only the first application of Rousseau's theories, its clumsy attempts at instituting a new authoritarian system of government foreshadowed many of the grotesquely inhuman but much more successful totalitarian regimes of the 20th century. The chaos and bloodshed in France stand in sharp contrast to the American Revolution taking place around the same time on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. Both revolutions mark the beginning of a post-monarchic era of representative government. In France, the trend led to regimes that concentrated power in the hands of government at the cost of individual rights. In America, the trend led to governments ruled by a constitution designed to protect the rights of individuals against the predations of government. New section. The French Revolution foreshadows fascism and communism. There were a number of aspects of the French Revolution that anticipated violent revolutions and oppressive regimes in the future. Briefly, one of these was the institution of state religions in the place of traditional Christian churches. The other was the terroristic character of the totalitarian state as it seized power and imposed its rule. Hatred for the Catholic Church was deep among France's Republicans, and a radical faction of the revolutionaries, including Jacques Hébert and Antoine-François Momoro, created an alternative, atheistic cult of reason to serve as a state religion. This was an anthropocentric system of belief, without gods of any sort, and was the official religion for a year during the Reign of Terror. Robespierre also despised the Church, but he believed that Christianity had value as a source of virtue. He devised a new state religion called the Cult of the Supreme Being that was adopted as the state religion by the National Convention in May 1794. He organized an initial Festival of the Supreme Being as an official state celebration and took a leading role on the occasion inviting accusations from his detractors that he had become a dictator. With Robespierre's execution, his religion soon faded, and Napoleon officially reinstated the Catholic Church in 1801. Thus, in a very short period, the French Revolution produced two status alternatives to the Catholic Church, foreshadowing the exploitation and destruction of religion in the 20th century by totalitarian regimes. The atheistic cult of reason foreshadowed 20th century atheistic socialist and communist regimes that in some cases, such as China, continue to the present, while the cult of the supreme being foreshadowed state-sanctioned churches witnessing the 20th century fascist regimes in Germany, Italy, and Spain, all of which used the church to oppress their citizens. Second, Robespierre's justification for terror in the name of virtue and democracy, referenced above, was a perfect articulation of a totalitarian justification for ruthless suppression of opposition, which is a hallmark of socialism and communism, 
most notably in Stalin's reign of terror, and fascism, most notably in Hitler's Germany. New section. The Glorious Revolution foreshadows democratic governments. As mentioned above, by contrast, the Glorious Revolution took place without the widespread cruelty, injustice, and bloodshed of the French Revolution. It was an able-type revolutionary transformation of society that built on English common law, Magna Carta, and the English Civil War. It championed individual liberty, democracy, and the rule of law, and ultimately gave birth to the American Republic and the U.S. Constitution. By contrast, the French Revolution was cane-like. It spawned more revolutions, violence, and bloodshed in 19th century France, culminating in the 1871 Paris Commune, and it served as a prototype for socialist, communist, and fascist governments that emerged in the 20th century, beginning with Russia's Marxist-Leninist revolution in 1917. End of chapter.